WAER Sports proudly presents the Ostrom Avenue Podcast. And Syracuse has knocked off NC State 24-9. The students rush the field. The Orange are bowl eligible in 6-0 for just the third time in the last 87 years. Syracuse stops out the Spiders. It took overtime to do so, but the Orange claim the first semifinal of the Empire Classic 74 to 71. Breaking down the orange every week. Syracuse's defense dropped by 20 spots on Ken Palm last night. So that was really embarrassing. I think Malik Brown should be getting more minutes. He shows the energy. I think he brought energy when he came to the floor. And talking with the industry's experts. We're joined by a very special guest and a friend of the podcast, Brent Axe. We now have the pleasure of being joined by David Thompson from the USA Today Network. We're joined by a very special guest. It's former SU men's lacrosse star and current ESPN analyst, Paul Carcaterra. It's the Ostrom Avenue podcast from WAER. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Ostrom Avenue podcast. Today is Wednesday, January 31st, the final day of the first month of 2024. My name is Ethan Frank, and as always, we're brought to you by Empire Hearing and Audiology. We thank them very much for their continued support of the show. We got a trifecta here today, joined as always by Jordan Leonard and Hudson Ridley. Jordan, how are you? I'm doing great. You know, I'm glad that the month of January is over. It means spring is coming uh, quicker and quicker. You can get, you know, out of this snow ice combo. I think that's been the most disappointing thing the last couple of days is I went out to try to go drive my car and there was snow on it, but I didn't realize it all froze to my car at the same time where it took me like 15 minutes to get it all off of my car. Well, how long did you, how long did you wait after it snowed to clean your car off? About a day and a half. Yeah, okay, it, I, I can't I, do that. Yeah, I think there's lies. <laughs> I didn't think right it was going to freeze to my car. Well, when the weather is what it is, it's going. <laughs> to. When it when it gets cold overnight, that's usually what happens. <laughs> uh, that other voice you heard was Hudson. Hudson, how are you? Uh, Ethan, I feel free. This this men's basketball team is terrible, <laughs> and now I no longer have to participate in the will they, won't they? They're done. So you know what? Wow. In in a way, it it does feel kind of nice Hudson's to be coming free. off hot. All right, I am, uh, I am Hudson's off. hot. I'm you mad. know what? You know what, Hudson? I'll just toss you the rock. Hudson, what, what's got you fired up this morning? Eight for 32, Ethan, or 23, rather. You know, you know what that is? They shot eight for 23 from the free throw line. I'm done with this Syracuse men's basketball team this season. It's cooked. They're over. They're done. And you know what? I, I think we could have seen this coming for a long time because they were due. They were due to have a mistake like this, and they made a big mistake like this. And I remember... Going well, you could argue yesterday. Florida State was the was the first mistake. Florida, oh, Florida State was the first mistake, but that was a good Florida State team who was hot. This is just this is inexcusable. And when we came into yesterday's game, and we we were picking the odds, and Syracuse was plus four and a half, so they're four and a half point underdogs. We were like, hmm, that's interesting. We got we got to take Syracuse here with this line. I guess I guess. Vegas just always knows, and we're we're just completely wrong. And you know what? I I should have trusted them. I should have known that this team was due to make a a bi- even bigger slip up than Florida State, and they did. And so now, when we talk about we we were building all this hype to well, if they beat UNC at home, there's a ch- the UNC game. Who cares now? Who cares? I will. I will say. I will say. Uh, this is you know this is a far fetched you know, world based on how this team has played in true road games this year. Um, And I don't think a five point loss is indicative of, of kind of what this game was. This is a Boston college team that won in a 21 0 run over the end of the first half and the beginning of the second half before Syracuse eventually got it back down to two, but, but this never really, there, there was never a moment where I was like, Oh, Syracuse is going to win this game. Um, It was always, if it was, it was never when it was always, if, um, and I'll give you another F. I said coming into the week, they had to go one and one. So, I mean, Wake now on Saturday is a must win. If you, it, I would say it's not over if they beat Wake because that is a quad one win. Um, but if they, if they lose to Wake, then I, I would join you in saying it is pretty much over. 
I don't even think it matters if they beat Wake because let's be real, they're not beating UNC. I mean, sure, you could say they could possibly beat UNC, but because you now lose to Boston College, it's your third quad. Uh, sorry, your second quad three loss. That's no quad two, two loss. Quad two loss. The quad two because it's on the road. It still doesn't matter to my Boston College stinks. Like legitimately, they are bad at basketball in the ACC. They're four and six in the ACC. You cannot lose to these teams if you want to make the NCAA tournament. Yeah, sure. If you beat Wake on the road, if you beat Clemson twice, if you beat UNC, if you beat every good team, if you go undefeated the rest of the year, let's say, yeah, you have a chance at making the NCAA tournament. But you keep losing these games that, you ha- that you're that you supposed to win. Those are what keep you out of the tournament most rather than not getting one quality win that you could have gotten. Which is why I'm yeah. saying if they do make up for this bad loss with a quad one win on on Saturday, then it could change the momentum and maybe have some sort of an impact. But it, am I saying that's likely or, or there's a good chance of that happening? No, I, I'm totally going to pick weight to win this game. I mean, this <laughs> the thing, too, when we say, oh, well, if they beat UNC, I mean, they lost by 36 to UNC. <laughs> I don't care if it's in North Carolina. All of a sudden, this team that at the time was, you know, building steam and looking a little bit better. Perhaps. I mean, they had the loss to Duke two games before. Hey, Georgia the Tech. Uh, been looking a little UNC. bit better. Yeah, Georgia Tech beat, yeah, did Georgia, beat UNC last night. Yeah, but Georgia Tech is like, they, they've got the fun. They're so weird. Got the They're magic so weird. They're weird. They beat, they beat Duke. This yeah, they Syracuse beat Duke and Duke Duke Carolina. Yeah, they have, I think, three conference wins, and two of them are Duke and North <laughs> Carolina. So the Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech doesn't count. Georgia I think Tech. the other one's Virginia, too, if I'm not mistaken. It's They, they, have, really? they have a very weird resume. A, a lot of bad. <laughs> they have uh, 11 losses and a number of them bad losses, but they also beat Duke and North Carolina. And Clemson on the road. Um, it's it's very, very weird. Yeah, I, I, I think, though, when we – Going forward, when you hear the discussion of, well, if they just beat UNC, how is this team all of a sudden that just lost to Boston College going to turn it around and beat a team that they lost to by 36, who's the number three team in the country, yeah, and who I, some people are picking to win a national championship? It's I think you got to give them the benefit of the doubt is that they do play very well at home. Um, They're a good home team. So that's, I think, where that optimism optimism stems from. Um. And, you know, like last, like watching last night's game, it was just like, it was just not a fun watch. Uh, the defense was so bad. Anytime they went to zone, probably three or four possessions. And every single time Boston College got an open three, whether it was in the first half or the second half, it was, it was not fun to watch. Uh, Chris Bell had a terrible night. Uh, he just couldn't get it going. Adrian Autry said he missed his first few shots. And from there, he just couldn't get it back. JJ Starling was playing well, then took that very scary fall at the end of the first half. So, so glad he was okay and able to play the second half. Judah Mintz took two free throws. You're not going to win many games where Judah Mintz only gets to the free throw line twice. And really you know, Malik Brown getting in foul trouble in the first half again was was a major downfall, and him and Quadir Copeland tried everything they could to to bring this team back in the second half. Uh, you know, you had people saying Quadir Copeland's passes made him look like Magic Johnson, the the no look wraparound uh, dimes he was throwing to Malik Brown, but it, it just didn't end up being enough. There were too many mistakes; they missed too many free throws. Um, and when you turn a team over twenty times and you still give up eighty points and lose. That's pretty indicative of how your defense played outside of forcing turnovers. Were you reading I, I your own like tweet there when you're thing. making? Wait, wait. Were you reading your own tweet there when talking about Quidier Copeland's Magic Johnson type passes? I didn't tweet that. <laughs> I, was, I was, I was making sure that you weren't. I know you're a big Q fan. I want to make sure. I, I, I didn't tweet. That. Other people are saying this. Yeah, that's why I said other people are saying on the street <laughs> that Quidier Copeland is Magic Johnson. People are saying Magic Johnson. Oh, Go God. ahead. I, I, I would like to say this. It's it's an early morning for for this dyslexic boy over here. They didn't go eight for 23 from the free throw line. I'm sorry. They went eight for 23 from three. And I just realized that I said at the beginning, they went seven of 14 <laughs> and I was reading the wrong line on the bottom. But you know what? That's that's just as bad. Seven of 14. Uh, you know what? No, not many people can blame you because uh, that game was really ugly. I did see that and I was yeah. trying to add up. I was like, wait, what? They went no. 23 for the No, don't line. worry. Don't uh, worry. That <laughs> was just on me. That's, I think that I think, I think your boy Malik think, Brown Hudson went 0 of 5. 
He went 0 4, but oh, 4. Yes. that's same, okay. Though. Same purpose. That's okay. He's a big. Um, he's a big. Sometimes I, no, that's game... not okay. <laughs> that is not okay. This, he's a sophomore. He's learning. I don't care. Uh, they're that's all not sophomores. Okay. <laughs> okay. That's um, not okay. Uh, I, I this game is just indicative of what Syracuse has been all year. It's just if their defense isn't playing well enough, they're not going to win. And especially since Naheem McLeod went down, Malik Brown cannot get in foul trouble. Otherwise, you know, Peter Carey had a, like some good minutes in terms of he dunked it twice. But like Malik Brown means so much to this team, just being on the floor with his defense and just you know his kind of versatility on offense. He did make yeah. one three. He made one three too. Uh, then he took too many threes after that, but you know, we'll give it to him. But like Malik Brown means so much to this team at the five spot that he just can't get in foul trouble. And anytime that he does, especially against a team that has a front court with Quentin Post in it, even though Post only had nine points, he had 12 boards, like yeah, securing it, those rebounds. It just shows last night, even though this team made eight threes, they need two guys to be making threes consistently. They need Starling and Bell to both be making threes on the same night to win games. And I know Judah made a couple last night. Malik Brown, shout out, made one. Uh, you know, and he took three. I believe he went one for three. Uh, so I was loving seeing his confidence from behind the arc. Um, if Quentin Post has given him all that space, he's got a nice spot of three. Police, go ahead and take it. Um, I mean, they just, I don't know if I could ever say that Justin Taylor will have a, a strong game from three, but if he, you know, he's on, I don't know when that would ever be, but it's clear Starling can't be the only one hitting shots. They need two guys consistently hitting threes to space the floor and get things going because you think about the comeback they had in the second half and it was all, you know, semi-transition or semi-transition of Copeland pushing the pace and getting it to Malik Brown for a layup or getting it to Benny Williams for a layup. Um, or, or getting into the paint himself, whatever it was. And it, it just wasn't hitting shots. Uh, it was threes that were too, too little too late. Um, and it, it just wasn't enough. And in ACC play, this team just hasn't been able to string together wins. Um, you know, they beat Pittsburgh, then lose to Duke. They beat Boston College, then lose to Carolina. Then they beat Pittsburgh and Miami, and then lose to Florida State, and then beat NC State and lose to BC. There hasn't been more than two consecutive wins in the ACC, and and that's not going to get it done when when it comes to to tournament time. Um, I, I think you know that kind of puts a wrap on that. Uh, another crushing loss over the weekend. Uh, the women's team, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, coming up with with Tim Leonard. First home loss of the season to number nineteen Virginia Tech. Jordan, you and I were there. What uh, what, what were your takeaways? Uh, just that, you know, Virginia Tech is a very good team. Uh, I think Syracuse played a solid game. George Amor just, you know, went off because George Amor is one of the best guards in college basketball. And I thought Syracuse did a good job in terms of combating Virginia Tech's height. I mean, Virginia Tech is one of the tallest teams in the country. They have a 6-6 in Liz Kitley. They have 6-5 Clara Strack. And they out-tower Syracuse pretty handily, but yet Syracuse was very competitive in the rebounding category, and they were competitive for the most part throughout the game. They got it down to single digits a couple times in the fourth quarter, uh, but you're not going to win them all. I mean, they, they had won six in a row going into that game, including a couple games against ranked opponents. So, I mean, if you're going to lose to a team, Virginia Tech, who went to the Final Four and lost to future national champion LSU last year, I mean, that's a that's one to lose to. Yeah, I think this team will be fine. And if you consider holding, you know, two-time reigning ACC Player of the Year, Elizabeth Kitley, to four points, having her by far worst game of the year, I think that was the only game she didn't even reach double figures in. And so holding her to that, that's pretty impressive, especially when you consider that DeAsia Fair was clearly not on her game. Clearly not on her game. And she still, you know, put up a decent stat line, but she wasn't being as assertive as she usually is. And, you know, that can turn the tide. But you're not going to beat a Virginia Tech team when they're shooting that well on that kind of day. It's It was a tough matchup for Syracuse, but I think this team is going to be fine because you're not going to face teams that are really necessarily tougher than Virginia Tech down the stretch. You could face some higher-rated teams, but in terms of matching up against Virginia Tech, that's about as tough of a matchup as it really gets for the Syracuse team roster-wise. I, I thought it was really interesting after the game it was the first time this season that I thought Coach Jack kind of made an excuse for her team. She she was talking like she briefly mentioned it, but she was like, yeah, we, we, we got back late on Thursday night and then some things happened and we just lost our focus and that will never happen again. And she didn't elaborate after that, but I thought that was a really interesting moment in the press conference after the game where you know she admitted that her team 
was it didn't seem locked in coming into the game. And that was clearly evident in the first quarter when they were down 23 to nine after 10 minutes. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't take that as much of as an excuse of like the fact that they just weren't locked in and that'll never happen again in terms in terms of like what she said. Um, but I mean, you look at it, the offense was never really locked in other than in the second quarter when Georgia Amor was out of the game and foul trouble, they shot 23% in the first quarter, 26% in the third quarter and 25% in the fourth. When three of your four quarters are shooting sub 30% from the field, you're probably not going to win the game, let alone against the top 25 team. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't really have much more to add on to that. Cause you're right. Like it, if you, if you have a poor shooting day, this team is – we'll talk with Tim in a sec where he says this team isn't fully reliant on DeAsia Fair. And it's not fully reliant on DeAsia Fair, but you need DeAsia Fair to be DeAsia Fair to, to win games. That That's in reality what it is because if she has an off night, Elena Rice can pick up a decent amount of slack. We saw in the Notre Dame game. She can pick up slack. But it, in Georgia – She Wall, can't do everything. As well. she, they can't do everything, can't, right. They can't do everything, and, and that's the thing. And then if you if you mix in, you know, a couple bad games here from Alyssa Latham. I mean, she's been great this year, but boy, Virginia Tech, she did not look good. So you know, if, if you have all these factors combined, I wouldn't necessarily say that Felicia was making an excuse. I I, I think it's kind of valid. Yeah, I I I'm with you. And uh, Tim has a lot more insight. He uh, he he's on every single game for this women's basketball team, and we even snuck in some lacrosse there at the end. Uh, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. We thank Tim for his time. Here he is chopping it up on a Wednesday morning. We now have the pleasure of being joined by recurring guest on the podcast, Tim Leonard, the voice of Syracuse women's basketball and and Syracuse men's lacrosse, recording this. Wednesday morning, Tim. How are you? Great to be on with you guys. Recurring guests. That, that's very true. I'm, I'm excited to be back on the pod. And like we were just talking about, started around the time that I was a WAR uh, staff member, student at Syracuse. So it's cool to uh, kind of a full circle moment here. So talking talking Syracuse women's basketball. Uh, I, I guess you know what what was the team like your senior year compared compared to where they are now a completely different era of of the, yeah. the program the team um how, how did things compare from what was that you know 4 or 5 years ago to to today well i mean obviously this was coach q time period they were definitely good teams i think really the star of my uh student years at syracuse was tiana monacahia who of course we have to send best wishes to right now because i mean First off, when I was a student, she first uh, figured out about the cancer, was diagnosed with breast cancer. Then it went away, and now it is back, unfortunately, last I heard. So best wishes to her. But she was the star. She was setting all kinds of records. And DeAsia Fair just passed her, actually, as fastest player to 1,000 points in a Syracuse career. Fair did in 50 games, which is like 20 points per game. It's amazing how quickly she got there. Tiana did in 60 games. So it's an interesting sort of time period in Syracuse women's basketball because a lot of records are being broken. I mean, I think everyone has seen, if you're, you know, just looking at the last 10 years, they've been one of the better teams in the ACC, but they're nowhere near the likes of Notre Dame and UConn or some of these thoroughbred programs in the women's game that they played against for so many years. So like this year, Syracuse starts seven and one in conference play. That's the best conference start in program history. And it's fascinating to see in just year two, Coach Jack is kind of shattering some of these records. But overall, I mean, there were good teams under Coach Q. And then when he left, there was the one year of Vaughn Reed, which I kind of watched from afar. That was in between me being a student and uh, me being a professional or in this job, basically. I did do one game that year, and it was a, a drubbing of a loss to NC State in Raleigh, which was <laughs> – I kind of came in for like a 50-point loss and left and got to see that, okay, we, we've got some work to do here. But no one was expecting much that year. It was such a transition year. And even last year, there really wasn't much of an expectation, but it's amazing to see how quickly Coach Jack has gotten this thing going. Yeah, like you mentioned, only year two and such a quick turnaround. It kind of feels like a lot of programs when they kind of do a full 180, that there's a lot of buildup leading into it. And there wasn't really a whole lot of buildup 
with Coach Jack in terms of just bringing a bunch of players in from Buffalo and now they're instant impact and now they're climbing up the ranks. Was this success kind of faster than planned, would you say? I think you have to say it was. Um, I think even last year to be in the tournament conversation was such a success that it made me going into this year wondering, all right, what should be the expectations? Because we can't get too confident that they're just going to roll right into a really good season this year because they did exceed expectations last year. But of course, uh, everyone that thought that, and I was included in thinking, you know, a tournament would be a successful season. Well, they've shattered those expectations. I was listening. Charlie cream was on one of the local radio stations recently. And he said, you know, in the preseason, I had Syracuse as a borderline tournament team. Now they're borderline hosting and being one of the top 16 teams that does host in that first weekend of the NCAA tournament. So it's amazing. It's also amazing because the ACC is as tough as it's been, and it's one of the toughest conferences in the game. So the fact that there's most weeks six ranked teams in the conference, and one week recently there were seven ranked teams in the ACC, and Syracuse is off to the best start in conference play in program history, and they're right up there. They were tied for first, and now this game against Louisville, we're recording before that, if they win that game, it's basically first place is on the line Thursday night. Louisville is seven and one. Then you got a good group of teams that are seven and two, which Syracuse is included in that in conference play. So yeah, any sort of expectations, even if you were an optimist, I think everyone was excited about Coach Jack and the passion and the energy she brought in. But to do it this quickly, like this would have been a very successful start if it was year four of the Coach Jack era. And here she is in year two. And now, I mean, you get really excited about what year four could be, what year five could be. And obviously you don't want to go too down, far down the road. Coach Jack always says, be where your feet are. You know, you want to stay in the present, make sure that you maximize this year. And this year could be a special year, the way that the team is playing right now. I, in listening to Coach Jack talk a lot recently, uh, it, it starts, it's starting to feel like she's been hanging out with, with Dino Babers a lot, the way she, she speaks in a lot of cliches um, and, and just a lot of the things, things she says. But when you, when you look at the success, uh, uh, undoubtedly that, that her team has had on the court, do you attribute that, you know, to the personnel she's brought into her coaching style, you know, what the team is running schematically? Um, you know, mental toughness, is it, is it all of those things or is there, you know, one thing that really stands out from, from the team? You know, it's a good question. I've thought about this a lot and I think really it's coaching more than anything. Um, and that doesn't take, I mean, obviously there's a talented group of players out there. They have to put in the work, you know, truth be told, it's a, it's a little bit of everything, right? If you have a good team and the culture building is a big part of it. I think just being around the team this year, the chemistry is is really tremendous. And I know that it can sound like a cliche or like, you know, Coach Jack talks so much about it, how no one cares really who is the leading scorer in that game, who's the leading rebounder, who hits the game-winning shot, and that's a trait of a good team. But that type of stuff you don't build overnight, especially when – the roster they had last year was just like so many new faces being thrown in like a melting pot of players essentially. And from there, it's probably tough to actually build a culture and get everyone to buy into the same goal. And they've really done it this year, but I do think it's the coaching because I mean, you think about last year, Syracuse was not a good rebounding team. They didn't have enough size, right? And when they went up against the best teams in the ACC, it was pretty much the same story every game. It was close in the fourth quarter at the start, and then, you know, things fell apart kind of in the, in the later part of the fourth quarter. And all of a sudden, you look up, and they lose by six, lose by seven, and you think, man, they could have had that game. But you know, they did beat UNC at home. That was a ranked win. But a lot of these games, it was never like they got blown out. They were in it. And then you look at the stat sheet afterwards, and you'd be like, Ah, the rebounding, you know, they were minus 12 on the glass, minus 10. And it's not like they have really totally transformed the roster this year. I mean, Isabel Varejao, unfortunately, has been out for going on uh, almost two months now. And she was supposed to be one of these new additions that they needed to incorporate some size. And Coach Jack and the coaching staff knew that. She's 6'4", a transfer from Michigan. Well, she hasn't been available for a while. They did, did add Alyssa Latham, who's a good rebounder, and that's been a big part of it. But it's players like Kyra Wood, who comes back uh, from last year with Coach Jack her first year, 
and she's just a better player. She's not tense out there. She's not tight. She's going for those rebounds hard. And Saniya Wilson has grown into a better player. She's gotten healthier. So as a team, it's amazing to watch them just grow at rebounding. Georgia Woolley's a good rebounder for her size. Elena Rice, De'Asia Fair, they're not the tallest team in the ACC. And I think when you think about just that, how much they have grown in the rebounding aspect, you got to give credit to Coach Jack because obviously she can teach how to go get a board. We know a little bit about that. From you Just go look at her, her stat sheet at Syracuse. That's what she did. So mm-hmm. Yeah, now it almost kind of feels like with with all this momentum building and we keep talking about you know this is the team this is the team they keep getting better and better and better and now the setback they suffer after losing to Virginia Tech at home in a double digit loss coach jack usually seems to keep her team in a really good space mentally but how does this team in your opinion bounce back mentally from a loss like that when it's at home and they've been undefeated at home the entire season long Yeah, and I think I'm not too worried about it with this team because I do think Coach Jack, everything that she says to the team is all, it is like connecting with the players to an extent. And everything she says to the team is we're just focused on the next game. And it's all cliches, right? Like it's the same thing that I was just saying. You can, from afar, and if it's not going right, say, all right, Coach, like let's – let's stop with the cliches a little bit. And I think, you know, you brought up Dino Babers that kind of happened with Dino, right? Like everyone loved Dino in year uh, four when he was winning 10 games. And we were all saying the cliches like kind of in a positive light. And then when you start losing games, it's like, coach, I want to know like why we lost these games. I don't want you to just tell me we're on to Cincinnati or do the Bill Belichick type of routine. But I do think as much as it might be, like a way that sort of coach Jack's interviews and everything, you can kind of sense what she's going to say and it it kind of becomes repetitive, but it's also like it's establishing this culture and she really is all about the team and she's so competitive and so willing to do anything it takes to win that her players, it, it sort of becomes a trade in her players as well. And I'm not too worried because I mean, they've been in a lot of close games to this point. And to me, the Virginia Tech game was another close game. Yeah, it was disappointing because it was at home and you did stop Liz Kitley. You checked that box and you still lost by 13 points. But that's just the ACC. I mean, you're, you're going to have a couple of these games not go your way. And I think the key now, like you're saying, is just to focus on the next one. And it seems like based on the culture and the chemistry within the team, I, I'm not too worried about that. Sticking with with Coach Jack and that culture, you know, when you're 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 with this team every game, you know, traveling, what are you know outsiders who don't see this team play every day saying about what they see from Coach Jack? Are they saying, you know, kind of the same things? Wow, this is success that's happening faster. Oh, you know, we saw her when she was at Buffalo or where she was an assistant in other places, and and this is something you could have seen coming. What is kind of you know the rest of the ACC and maybe the national perception of Coach Jack? Yeah, I mean, I think she has a great reputation among coaches. And I I do think there's a little bit of a, whoa, like they're doing this really quickly. But everyone that I've talked to that's another coach or another observer of women's college basketball are kind of like, yeah, I mean, we all knew that Coach Jack would, would really get that thing right. And she's doing just that. And it is, it's impressive because to me, it's not like she just scoured and and grabbed a, a couple top 20 recruits or a top 10 recruit or something, or got some transformational talent. Of course she has DeAsia Fair, who I would say is a border. I mean, she's maybe not a transformational talent because it's almost like misleading. Like she, she's obviously a great talent, but it's more the story of like a player that was under recruited becoming this phenomenal player and having this great college career. And that's a testament to DeAsia, of course, but it's also Coach Jack identified her, the coaching staff identified her. And, you know, I I think it's been incredible to watch Fair just prove everyone wrong at at this stage of her college career now where she's playing against the best. And it does sort of get lost. I, I think it's easy to think, all right, well, she went from Buffalo to Syracuse and Coach Jack just added all these players from Buffalo and it became like, 
Buffalo 2.0, or, or that was probably a perception when she first took the job. First off, like that speaks to her loyalty and what she's all about as a coach is she's going to try and take this player and follow their story and help guide them into a, a great young lady. And then the other thing with that is DeAsia Fair was wanted by everyone, South Carolina, uh, UConn. She, she took visits to a lot of these schools, so she could have gone anywhere. So it's not really like she's a Buffalo transfer. She's one of the better transfers in the country in pick Syracuse. But anyway, that's a, a whole side note. I, I do think that the reputation among coaches and observers of college basketball it's very high for coach Jack. And I think her coaching staff around her deserves more credit as well. I mean, being around the team. And I, I think this is just something that I would pick up on, on any coaching staff. I'm guessing if I was close to a team like this, you start to realize like Kyrie Carter, the assistant coach is the one who's going over the scouting report and really diving into the matchups and, and those type of things. And I don't know. I just get the sense coach Jack is very quick to point out after some of these great second half comebacks that KC coach KC was the one who decided to do that adjustment and give them credit once we get on the bus or something like that. So I don't think that's particular to Syracuse, but it gets lost on you. Maybe when you're just an observer or a fan, like it's coach Jack, but it's also the training staff and, and the support staff. And, and she'll be the first to tell you that as well. When you talk about DeAsia fair earlier on and kind of, the uniqueness of her story a little bit. It can be kind of interesting to just watch her and not just in games, but outside of games and how she prepares. What's it been like for you watching DeAsia Fair day in and day out? Yeah, it's it's been a treat. I mean, I tell people that, you know, this is the last year we have of someone who is historically a great college basketball player. And, and we know all about what she's doing in terms of climbing the points list. Like, Going into this game Thursday, she's ninth. She'll probably get to seventh on Thursday night. And you can see a path here where she's three or four all time once she ends her career, which, I mean, just think about that. Like, the stuff she is doing, yes, she had an extra year because of COVID and she's playing a fifth year. But, I mean, I, I just am so wowed every time I look through her stats because it's just unprecedented, really, for a player – that has come through Syracuse in, in the, in the women's program and really any Syracuse player. I mean, what, what she's doing in terms of getting to the top of these national lists and scoring has not been done from a Syracuse basketball player. And obviously she did some of that at Buffalo, but you look through her stats and one of the more impressive things about her is it's every single game. Like we just talked about Liz Kitley. She has an off game. And I, I will give her a lot of credit, too, because that's like the first time she's been in single digits all year. But Fair has played 140 career college basketball games, and she's been in double figures in 135 of them. So that's like 98.5% or something. I, I think you could do the math. I mean, that's just staggering to think she is guaranteed to get to at least 10 points every time she gets out there. And she had just played six straight 20 or more point games. And that got snapped with her 16-point game against Virginia Tech. But I'm just amazed how it's. it doesn't matter what the matchup is. She gets all kinds of defensive attention. And it's not like, I think it's easy to think, all right, she's just chucking up shots and she's a selfish player. Part of it is she just practices a lot of these shots. And I've seen her make crazy shots. It's almost like the Steph Curry thing where you can't really quantify one of her shots as a bad shot because you know he's making them in practice and she's making them in practice so we know it's in there but also it's it's amazing because I do think she makes the right read a lot of times and it's not like she's truly just taking a bulk of the shots here she's getting a lot of the defensive attention but she's still making the right reads and still getting to her spots and scoring 20 25 30 like each and every night yeah, the the impressive thing to me is how at her size she can score at at four levels in the paint, at the free throw line, in the mid range, and and then you know step if she needs to three, four, five, six feet behind the three point line, uh, like she did on on Saturday. I think she had one that was probably close to thirty feet at one point. Um, had that deep one against Florida State a couple of weeks ago as well. Her her range is really limitless. You mentioned Liz Kitley when it comes to you know potentially you know the ACC player of the year is, is this something that, you know, 
is dependent on Syracuse continuing to win, or do you think Fair's individual performance could put her over the top, like uh, like against someone like Kit Lee or Hannah Hidalgo from Notre Dame? Yeah, they they need to win or probably be in the top three of the conference or a top four seed, maybe I would say, like the double buy situation to get. I mean, she definitely should be in the conversation and probably get a little bit more of the conversation than she has been getting. I do think Coach Jack is right now the front runner for ACC Coach of the Year. I, I guess you could make a case Westmore at NC State because they were picked to finish eighth in the league and they're all the way up to number five in the polls. So I could see it going to Westmore. I mean, he's more of a proven name in terms of like the ACC area, and and that's kind of the bummer of it. Syracuse is still the the Northeast uh, counterpart to the ACC a little bit, but. I, I, Kitley's going to be tough to beat in terms of the ACC player of the year. Um, I don't know if the gap really should be as big as it is, though. I mean, to me, if Syracuse continues to be the biggest uh, overachiever in the conference, which they have been to this point alongside NC State, like I said, and NC State really isn't doing it with one player. I mean, Isaiah James and Mimi Collins are solid, but it's more like De'Asia Fair is the Syracuse story a little bit more than one player at NC state. And then I think you brought up the other two contenders, Liz Kitley, Hannah Hildago. They're the two leading scorers in the conference. And it will come down to probably just counting stats at the end. Like what's going to happen is everyone's going to jump back into trying to figure out who the best player is. And they're going to look at Liz Kitley and say, Oh, she won it back to back years. And he's averaging 23 and 11 or 22 and 11 or something like that. And she'll probably win it. But my point is, I, I think if you really watch the games and look into it closely, DeAsia Fair is probably right now like pretty much neck and neck with Kitley. And it should be more of a race than it probably will be. Hmm. Right now in Charlie Cream's bracketology, as of yesterday, uh, Syracuse is a six seed. Where do you kind of see the ceiling for this team in March? Not necessarily in terms of making it to the dance or where they make it. But once they get to the tournament, what, where do you see this team going? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I think there is a decent amount of parity now in women's college basketball, especially in the ACC. It's been a bonkers year for the conference. Like Virginia goes and beats UNC last week. Uh, Florida State has lost to Virginia. That's a ranked team losing to one of the teams that are kind of in the bottom of, of the pecking order in the ACC. And, just the way that Syracuse is picked to finish ninth in the league, they're right up there. NC State picked to finish eighth in the league. So there's so many good teams, and the sport is growing in parity. When I was a student, it was kind of like a lock that if you were a top-four seed, you were probably winning the first-round game, and then you were probably getting out of the first weekend as the home court advantage and all that. And... For the most part, it was a lot of the Final Four makeup was one seeds and two seeds. And maybe you'd get like a one versus a six in the Elite Eight or something like that. But it was kind of rare. And definitely it's it's become more of like what the men's game is now, where I think even last year, Iowa, if I'm remembering correctly, was like a two or a three seed. LSU was was in that neighborhood as well. Virginia Tech made it as a one seed, but there were a lot of like three versus five in the elite eight or that type of stuff. So I do think even if they're a five, six, four seed, like you could see this team make a final four run. Um, Coach Jack, of course, would tell you that there's no ceiling. Like they think they're going to win the national title probably. And that's, that's a good trade. I mean, they're dreaming big and they actually do believe that they, there's no one in front of them that they can't lose to. Um, but if we're being realistic, if they, could make it to the second weekend i think that would be phenomenal like if you get to the sweet 16 in syracuse as a five six seed whatever they end up being is still standing then that to me is is just incredible stuff because they've only been to one sweet 16 in program history that goes back to what i was saying i think the men's team has had such a great legacy but women's basketball hasn't been around as long in syracuse and they haven't been you know, because of the lack of parity in the sport, they haven't been to Sweet 16s or Elite 8s like every year. I mean, they made one run to the Sweet 16 and they did go all the way to the championship game. But if you could get to the second Sweet 16 of program history in year two, that to me would be just amazing. I think winning a game in the tournament this year would be great 
if you had told me that going into the season, now your expectations shift a little bit, but that just puts it in perspective how rare a run it would be if they could get to the second weekend. Yeah, that that 2016 run with uh, Alexis Peterson, Brittany Sykes, that was a a very impressive run under under Coach Q. And now, you know, Coach Jack is is trying to to capitalize on the momentum that that this team has right now. And you know, you know, if they do get to the Sweet 16, that's great. But even if you know they do lose in the first or, or second round of the NCAA tournament. How can they still, you know, capitalize on what a successful season this has been? I know Coach Jack says, you know, be where your feet are, but we're going to look ahead a little bit when it comes to, you know, the sustainability of what she's building and recruiting and using the transfer portal. How is she going to continue sustaining this kind of success that Syracuse has had this season? Yeah, that's a good, I think transfer portal will probably be needed for a scoring guard next year. And I say that with all the respect. I mean, I think they have a great recruiting class coming in, but you're going to lose DeAsia Fair. We know that. You're going to lose Elena Rice. Um, she's a grad student that'll be out of eligibility. So Georgia Woolley will likely be back, I would imagine, uh, as a senior. And that's a great player in this conference. But all of a sudden, she becomes like the Batman, right? Or the, or the number one scorer on the team as it stands right now with the current roster. I think everyone is very excited about Alyssa Latham and she's had a couple off games here the last two just jogging my memory but she to me is probably the most uh like has the most star power on the team right now she's just a freshman and she's got pretty much all the tools and to me could be a real WNBA player down the road so you know you're really excited you have her Sophie Burrows is growing as a player in her freshman year very exciting talent there so they're still a good, I mean, it's still kind of a young team. Kyra Wood could be back. Sonia Wilson could be back. And, you know, in today's day and age, you just don't know exactly how the roster is going to shake out. But I, I do think they're in a good position. Even though they're losing DeAsia Fair, this team has proven that they are more than just DeAsia Fair. And, you know, they're playing eight players every game. And it's not uncommon for all eight of them to score like a couple field goals in these games. And it is a really balanced attack. So, even in the loss to Virginia Tech, he had Kyra Wood at six points, 12 rebounds. Elena Rice had 14. Georgia Woolley had 16. So it's it's a lot of fair because she's scoring so many points. But if she's not in the puzzle, then I think someone else will be scoring her point share a little bit more. And just in general, they're a balanced team. So also going back to what I was saying earlier, when you asked what's the biggest takeaway of how they're doing this, to me, the fact that I said coaching there makes you confident that this is going to carry over regardless of who the current roster is or the talent level on the roster, how experienced they are. I think they will find a way. They they do have just a great culture that they're building, and that's a, such a big part of it. Well, we can't let you go without asking one lacrosse question first, only a couple of days before the season opener against Vermont, and I want to know, your theory, your three of Gary Gate with this men's lacrosse team, and the hype is steadily building year over year over year. Where now it kind of feels like not not a maybe a chance in a national champion when you look at the guys like Duke and UVA and Notre Dame, obviously. But where do you see this program and the expectations for this program for this season? Yeah, you know, it's kind of it's probably kind of similar to my expectations going into year two of coach Jack. And I think the timeline is, is now there's maybe a little bit more pressure because it is year three on coach gate and, and the Syracuse fan base is really sort of like, all right, we, we got to see a tournament team this year because obviously the big difference there is Syracuse lacrosse is such a proven power. And there was a time period in this program's history where fans were expecting a final four and it was like all right is this a national championship team or are they losing in the national title game like that was the only question really and as i said the the women's program is doesn't have the same amount of prestige or or his, historical accomplishments but i think making the tournament is is definitely a goal this season and i would say in order for it to you feel good about the season probably winning a game in the tournament or at least having a very strong first game in the tournament where you know you walk away from and you say okay that was a positive year and, and we're building something here it's an interesting roster because there is just so much talent but 
that's kind of true for a lot of college lacrosse rosters now. Like you mentioned the likes of the top of the ACC there, and all those teams are just bringing back a good chunk of the roster that made it to the final four. If you're Duke or Notre Dame or Virginia, and those are the three best teams in the country. And Syracuse is in a position where they're picked to finish last in the league, which I think is wrong. I think they should be picked to finish fourth in the conference, but there's only five teams in the ACC. They're picked to finish last in the league and they're ninth in the nation in the preseason poll. So it's hard to wrap your head around it. Sometimes when you get into the numbers on lacrosse, like, they could lose a lot of conference games and still be a tournament team. And I think Gary even said that in his opening press conference. He said, there's a way we go 0-4 in conference. And if you win kind of all the other big games, they play Cornell, they play Maryland, they play Army, go on down the list. Utah's a tough team. Um, you could be in the tournament still and not win an ACC tournament game. So it's a fascinating uh, time period in ACC lacrosse, but I do think the amount of talent on this team, it seems like good reports in the face opposition. That was such a big part of their struggle last year. I'm confident that this is a year where they do meet expectations. And hopefully we get to a point in the season where we're a shoe in for the tournament. And then you're starting to think about, okay, can they win a game in the tournament? Can they really progress this thing? And sort of the conversations that we're having with the women's basketball team right now. I mean, the women's team has shattered expectations. So maybe I'm a little bit more optimistic that the men's lacrosse team is going to do that. And everything's just going to be good vibes this year. But I do feel like they have the talent, they have the pieces and it's just a matter of kind of how do they gel and can you stay healthy and, and, you know, can you get a couple of those close games to go your way? Because they were in a lot of the games last year, same story as year one under coach Jack. And then now, okay, can you translate those fourth quarter losses to fourth quarter wins this year? That'll be the big stepping stone if this team is to get over the hump into the NCAA tournament. One more fun one for you, Tim, before before we let you go. I, I believe I asked you when you were back on back in September when we were talking football about uh, about road trips. And now that you're continuing to get to go to all these different ACC schools, when you look back to your WAER days and now in your your professional yeah. career, which has been your favorite ACC school to to travel to? I know you're a North Carolina guy. Um, so that, so that's close to home, but is there a favorite school that, that you've gotten to go to maybe recently that you hadn't been to before, or, or there's always one that sticks out. Oh, I, I love going to, to Tallahassee or I, I love going to Clemson or, or wherever. Yeah. So I am a North Carolina guy. So the first thing that came to mind was UNC and, and NC state for that matter. My family lives like just outside of there. So anytime we play, down that way it's like an excuse to see my family and it just is more of like a vacation vibe to it so that's always exciting um i would say virginia's right up there i really like charlottesville i think it's kind of you know you could say it's like kind of in the middle of nowhere but i just love how their campus is really nice like and it's always nice good weather whenever we go there and then they have good restaurants i've got a good steakhouse that we always try to hit and also everything, I love how they have the the sports section of their campus where, I don't know if you guys have been there, but it's like every venue is right there. And you'll be calling a lacrosse game and you can hear track running behind you or baseball or there's always something going on. And there's always like a good buzz around there and a good crowd around the sports area there. Um, Clemson and Florida State, I think is if you're listening, you're like, well, he's going to say one of those because it's great atmospheres. It's the southern climate and all that. The tough part about Clemson is we never really stay near the campus because it's so far away from the airport. And to me, one of the best parts and one of the best perks about these trips is getting to like walk the campus or be at a location where I can like go for a walk and just check out good weather <laughs> especially when it's like women's basketball time period i'm like yes it's 50 degrees that's amazing like get me outside on a, a nice long walk and and i can just decompress for a little bit and we're not really near the clemson campus at least in the trips that i've gone to so that one's kind of maybe not quite as good as you would think i mean i think clemson the campus and the atmosphere and everything is is tremendous but it's in such a remote area far away from the airport it doesn't really work out great logistically um florida state's fine I, I just i think i would prefer charlottesville and some of those north carolina schools a little bit more so and then i would also i mean we're going to louisville this thursday and or i'm about to leave here in a right after we finish this podcast and 
I would say Louisville is kind of underrated because it's got a good downtown area. And I would kind of relate it a little bit to Syracuse. Like you just know that it's going to be a good turnout for the crowd. It's a big part of that city and it's kind of a major city. Um, so I think there's always like a good turnout for Louisville, but all of them are, are kind of fun in their own way, ACC wise. And now we incorporate Stanford and Cal and UNLV next year. I mean, you might, you guys might need to get me on and I might have a totally different list next year. With some <laughs> of these new schools. I'm with you though. Uh, I, I love Chapel Hill. Uh, got, got to go to Chapel Hill a couple times this year at uh, Chapel Hill is, is a great town and Charlotte's. Yeah. You mentioned the thing about Charlottesville. I was there. What was it? Two years, two years ago, February. And there was, we had a noon lacrosse game and there was a basketball game at like four o'clock or six o'clock. Cool, yeah. And, and it's like, Oh yeah, it, this place is, this place is packed. Um, and it's so cool how, how everything is, is so close together. Uh, our producer today, Jordan and I are heading to Louisville for the men's game in about a month. Um, excited to check that off the bucket list. I wouldn't, I mean, it wouldn't be surprised if the crowd for, for tomorrow's game for the women's game is bigger yeah. than, than the men's game being played <laughs> in about a month with the success of, of that program. But I know, as I was saying that I was like, I have seen some photos of the Yum Center for the men's games recently, and those have been pretty empty, but yeah. gosh, I can't believe what's happened to that men's program I, for the Syracuse fans that are like, wow, we have fallen on hard times here. Just look at Louisville. I mean, I know everyone wants Syracuse to get back to the tournament and get back to where they belong consistently on the men's side, but I don't even know what you do if you're Louisville. They, they've got a long climb upward. Yeah, we'll see what happens. It'll be a really exciting game tomorrow night in Louisville. Tim, thank you so much again for joining us and uh, safe travels down to the Bluegrass State. Yeah, of course, guys. Anytime you need me on, it's always a blast to to come on and, and reminisce on my WAER days and always fun to chat with you guys. Thanks so much to Tim again for his time and insight. I always love getting him on the pod, whether we're talking about football, basketball, lacrosse, whatever it may be. As, as we preview this season opener coming up on Saturday, WAER has full coverage starting at 3.30 Saturday afternoon before Face off the first one of the season for Gary Gates squad at four. And then that goes right into basketball coverage starting at 715 all the way up until midnight after Syracuse and Wake Forest. And thank you once again to Empire Hearing and Audiology for their support of the Ostrom Avenue podcast. One quick thing, guys. What are you looking for on Saturday? Hudson, go. I'm looking for Syracuse to not lose every single face off. Basically, this time, Vermont no longer has Tommy Burke, one of the best face-off specialists in the country. I I think that the gap can widen from last year's 7-5 victory for Syracuse over Vermont to open the season to hopefully something bigger. I'll be interested to see on both sides of the ball. On the defensive side, what the defense looks like without Petromala. There's a lot of returning guys, especially at Lonstick, but what does the defensive philosophy look like under John Odierna? And then on the offensive side, what are the lines? Because there's so much talent on the offensive side in the midfield and the attack. Who's playing together and what groups play the best together? We'll see how that goes. And who better to to preview all that than Jordan Hudson got to speak with the head coach of Vermont men's lacrosse. That would be Chris Fifes. Had him on the show last year. Jordan and I got to speak to him before that 7-5 to five loss, as, as the guys mentioned. Uh, a good conversation. As we mentioned, 3.30 coverage starts on Saturday. Non-stop sports on WAR all the way until midnight. Make sure you check it out our content on YouTube, the Ostrom Avenue Podcast YouTube account, and on social media as well at Ostrom Avenue Pod. All right, here's Jordan Hudson with Chris Fives to end the show. We'll talk to you next week. We're now joined by a Vermont men's lacrosse head coach, Chris Fife's looking back to last year for a second coach going nine and five, seven, zero in the America East kind of what were your biggest takeaways from last season going undefeated in conference, but then um, losing to you Albany in that, in that first round of the conference tournament. Yeah. Well, first off, got to give credit to Albany. You know, they played a great game that day. Um, they put a new goalie in the net. They had a great defensive game plan and they kept it close until the fourth quarter. And, um, you know, I got to give them credit. I thought they, they were the better team that day. Um, for us, you know, we had a lot of accumulated injuries throughout the season. It was the most injured season we've ever had at Vermont. We had five ACL tears leading up to that game. And then we lost three of our starters within that one game. So it really hurt, you know, our ability to, to score goals um, in crunch time. And um, as I said, they did a great job of keying on the guys that they already knew that we had remaining on the roster. So, um, 
I felt like, you know, we needed to recommit ourselves to injury prevention this off season and really commit ourselves to a different conditioning program so that, you know, we could stay a little healthier throughout the season and not kind of sputter to the finish line, if you will. Um, because even if we would have beat Albany, there's no, there's no guarantees that we would have got through Bryant for the second straight time, or that we would have been able to win a first round NCAA game with as many injuries as we had. So, um, you know, again, it was a lot of reflection in the off season, but the biggest one was how can we keep our team healthier and how can we give ourselves a better chance to compete in May? Mm -hmm. Last year, when you came to Syracuse, now you get another chance to do that same exact thing and play in the dome. What did year one and matchup one against Syracuse prepare you for, for matchup two this year? Yeah, well, you know, we've we've been playing, we've been scrimmaging, you know, Syracuse since 2018, and uh, we've been playing them since 2021 in the in the in the live games, and so you know, every single year it's been a little bit different. The one constant is that Syracuse is always a great team. They're always really skilled. They're always really athletic. They're always like one of you know one of my favorite teams to watch when I'm not playing them, just because how how fast and free flowing they are, and obviously having a coach like Coach Gate. I mean guys guys a legend so it's it's really cool to share the sideline with him and, and be able to compete um but one thing that stood out again from last year was starting in the cage i mean will mark is a phenomenal goalie you know we had chances in the in the end of the fourth quarter to either tie the game or go ahead and he's he's stymied all of our looks and i thought our offensive coordinator put us in a great position to to be successful we just ultimately couldn't score because will just kind of shut down the net um i thought offensively they were very very slick and very skilled Guys like, you know, Finn Thompson, um, you know, obviously Owen Hiltz. These guys have incredible stick work and can really capitalize on any defensive lapses that you have, you know, in your picking game or your off-ball defense. And you certainly don't want to foul Syracuse because they may have the most deadly man-up unit I've ever seen uh, or I've seen in a long time at least. Um, so, you know, they can beat you in a variety of ways. You just don't want to beat yourself. If you want to beat Syracuse, you have to really play a sound game and limit your penalties and, you know, limit your turnovers because um, they they really they can score. Um, so those are our biggest takeaways. And we just have to give ourselves a better chance to win, you know, early in the game so that we don't, you know, have a nail biter at the end. Looking at you guys this year, pick second in the America East preseason poll. Um, looking at your offense, you were just talking about Syracuse's returning the leading scorer, Brock Haley. You lose um, David, but you bring back Tristan Whitaker. Kind of what has the offense looked like so far in the preseason? And what are the expectations um, going into 2024? Yeah, there's there's been a lot of a lot of new faces, guys that have come back from injuries. Um, you know, we picked up a transfer this offseason. Uh, we, we've added some do some new wrinkles, some new personnel and new spots. And so we're really kind of trying to get used to what that looks like and the flow of our offense with some of these new adjustments. So some of the continuity that we've had the past couple of years, um, you know, with guys like Dave or even before that, guys like Thomas McConvey, you know, we've really had to dial into just the fundamentals and just working on consistency. And um, a lot of it has come through being in great shape, like having great conditioning and being in really good shape so that, you know, once we get fatigued, our stick work doesn't drop and our decision-making doesn't become poor decision-making. Because again, I think Syracuse can capitalize on those types of things. Um, but our offense specifically, I think, is still building their their chemistry. And we've really tried to utilize these these preseason scrimmages, this, this, this weekend being Hobart, to try to work out some of these kinks um, because we're going to jump right in the deep end with Syracuse and we're going to need to play our best game if, you know, we want to compete with a team like that. You lose Matt Schaefer from last year, but you return George Egan. Is is he stepping into that starting role and kind of what has the situation in cage looked like in the preseason? Yeah, George is a guy that's, again, we, we, we try to develop our players here. You know, we don't, we don't, um, hit the portal and bring in so many guys every single year and just try to plug holes. We really try to develop our young guys and, and, and build them. So when these moments that they step into, they feel confident. And George is a guy that has been grinding for three years and playing behind Ryan Cornell and Matt Schaefer guys that have been phenomenal goalies for our program. Um, you know, he's got the chance to learn from those guys, but no one likes to sit on the bench and no one likes to watch from the sideline, but I got to give George a ton of credit. I mean, he's been their number one fan and he's been, you know, beating down their door just come, you know every day in practice to say hey man like if you're not if you're not cutting it I'm I'm going to be here ready for this moment and so this fall I thought I mean in the last game of the season for instance that we lost you know he got in that game and had 11 saves off the bench and you know that's a great team in Albany so you know he was ready for that moment um and this preseason and fall I thought he's had a tremendous fall just being a leader being very vocal he's very athletic 
Um, and, you know, so far in this preseason, he's been the best version of George Egan that I've ever seen. So I'm really excited to see him against a new opponent um, and some new shooters that he doesn't see every day in practice and, and to see how, uh, how he plays when the lights come on. But I'll tell you that we have ultimate confidence in George and being that he's a senior and he's, he's really been waiting for this moment, I know that he's ready for it. Also looking on the defensive side, um, you guys lose your two top players in terms of cause turnovers last year, but you returned senior Patrick Murphy, who's a preseason um, honorable mention All-American, USA Lacrosse Magazine. Um, how important is it, you know, working with George, who's now in net, and also the defense working as an entire unit, especially going into that first game in Syracuse, which you mentioned has a lethal offense? Yeah. I mean, our two defensive captains are Timmy Manning and, and Pat Murphy. Um, Timmy Manning being a fifth-year senior and Pat Murphy being, um, you know, a four-year a four-year starter, a senior captain for us. Um, but pretty much every other defenseman on our starting defense is new, including our goalie. So we've really had to rely on their leadership to bring these guys along um, and step into some pretty big roles. I mean, three of our biggest impact players, just they're at the University of Maryland now playing for their defense, starting for their defense, and two of them were All-Americans. So they have big shoes to fill. Um, you know, they're not going to get it right away. It's going to take some time. Those guys were four-year starters for us. But I do love their athleticism and I do love their compete level and their toughness and what they've shown so far. Um, but again, you can't teach experience. You got you got to go through some of these ups and downs and these trials and tribulations to to form that resilience that you're going to need to be able to compete against a team like Syracuse. So um, even if, you know, they have a tough day against Syracuse, ultimately it's going to be really good for their development and really good for our defense's development because they're going to see where the holes are. So I'm very excited for them. I wish I could strap it up with them and play with them because uh, it's going to be a really fun game and, and they're going to get battle tested against some amazing offensive uh, personnel. You mentioned new holes being created. Tommy Burke is also another one of those guys that you're not going to have this season. 65% nearly face-off win rate last year. Is there any really concern going into the season not having Burke? Um, there's not any concern, but going into a team like Syracuse with a kid like John Mullen or a kid from Tufts that's a first-team All-American, you know, how is your sophomore that hasn't started a game yet going to compete? You know, that's that's the question mark. I, You know, I don't know yet. I think I love Henry Dodge and I love our face-off unit right now. But again, I think it's going to be drinking through a fire hose a little bit in this game and it's going to be good for his development. But we're going to have to ride the wave a little bit and to see how we do. Um, but going into the rest of the season, you know, again, I think these guys are like, really hardworking kids, high character kids. They care about being a great teammate. They care about doing things the right way. I, I know that we're going to get where we need to go. I just don't know how quickly it's going to come. And so what's the best way to do that is, is to not have fake confidence against teams that you should beat. It's to play teams that are, you know, on paper better than you, that you can, you can really get tested. And, and I think Henry is going to be uh, excited to, to compete against John Mullen, who's a fantastic faceoff guy and um, you know, whoever Syracuse throws out there. It's funny that you mentioned the, the two face-off guys because, honestly, we don't know who's going to start at the face-off X right now, and that was a problem for Syracuse last year throughout the season, and Tommy Burke definitely you know, exposed that, especially in week one. Um, when we talked to you last year, one of your keys was you know keep it a game going into the, the fourth quarter and you know be there down the stretch. That's how you, you kind of come out with a victory. Um, is that key the same this year, and what are the keys, at least for this roster, because it's a little bit different from last – well, not a little bit – more different than last year. Um, what are the keys this year going into the Dome um, when you play Syracuse in, in about a week? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I mean, the keys for us are going to be able to play with emotion, but don't play emotional. Don't let the moment get to you. Don't don't get overexcited. Don't do things you don't do in practice. Go out there, fall back on your training, do the things that we've been working on all season long, keeping it simple, being very good at the simple things consistently, the fundamentals communicating, being a sum of our parts. You know, I've said that since the beginning with this particular team, the way that we're going to reach our goals this year is to be the, be a sum of our parts. You know, we don't have a lot of individual standout guys, but when they play well together, they are very lethal. And I really believe that Vermont has been able to achieve our goals that way in the past with some individual superstars. And, you know, maybe we have less of them this year, but I do think that with a supporting cast and an unbelievable connection and level of kind of care for one another that, you know, we want to keep the game with Syracuse as close as we possibly can. We know they're super lethal offensively, um, but also it's their first game, you know. And, and and so I think that there's they're not going to play their best version of themselves necessarily either. So um, I think both sides are going to have to deal with some nerves. And I think our guys a lot, but 
again, my job as a head coach is to manage that emotion and allow them to be excited and be themselves and fly around out there. But let's not play tight. Let's not put, let's not be nervous and let's just fall back on our training. So, um, you know, we try to recruit really smart kids here and kids that understand what we're trying to accomplish, the schemes and why we do what we do. And so hopefully um, by keeping it simple that we can have the consistency necessary to stay, stay close in this one. One more for you, coach. When you get out there with your team onto the field in the dome, what kind of environment does that make your team feel? How does your team feel going into that tough of an environment or not even tough, but just different with the size of the dome and kind of the spectacle of it all? What does your team feel going through that? Ecstatic, ecstatic. I mean, again, I, as a as a fan of the game, as, as someone that you know, has grown up, you know, idolizing a guy like Gary Gate and and so many great players that have, you know, either played at Syracuse or gone against Syracuse, those type of games. Um, playing in this environment is, is really kind of a pinnacle experience if you're involved in lacrosse. And so it's not lost upon our guys how cool this is uh, and, and how much they should soak that in and understand how lucky they are to get to play at the Dome and to compete against the team with Syracuse's history. So that being said, they also want to win. They're also competitors. And so how do we balance the two? Well, we'll have a practice on Friday night, try to shake out those early nerves as best we can on that Friday night scrimmage, you know, do our prep at the hotel, get our routine going. But when, when you know, time for game comes on Saturday, 4 p.m., we want to be, you know, even keel. We want to be even keel. We don't want to have any oohs and ahs and looking at the banners hanging around or the size of the crowd. Ultimately, it's all going to be played between the same lines. And um, if our guys keep keep their head on straight and never get too high, never get too low, um, you know, we're going to thrive in that moment. And we're also going to, you know, on the front side and the back side, enjoy the significance of the moment and take it in that Vermont gets to do something really, really cool that we we don't take lightly. And hopefully we can make this a yearly thing. But we're going to live in the moment right now. I wonder if part of that astagness, at least for me, when Syracuse men's lacrosse kicks off their season is partly it's in the dome. So you're inside in that temperature controlled area. You're not outside when it's like 35 degrees covering or playing a lacrosse game. That definitely has to play a little bit of a factor. Thank you again for uh, taking the time, Coach. Absolutely. Thank you both. Excited to be there. If you guys have any further questions, don't hesitate to reach out.